You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Turn to Joshua chapter 14. Uh, I've been looking forward to teaching this passage and exploring it for quite a while. And I think the reason for that will soon become very, very clear. The part of the book of Joshua that we're in, it really reminds me of the time of year that we're in. You know, the, the new year, it's, it's always the I'll do better time of year. You know, so January is the time we think, okay, this year, this is going to be the year. This year is going to be different. I'm committed to doing better. I'm going to do better financially. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to stop that habit or pick up that hobby or whatever it's going to be. This is the year. And, you know, it's the same with Israel where they are in the book of Joshua. So we talked about you know, the conquest, the war is over. They've entered the land, they've conquered the land, that part is done. And so they're settling into the land. This is normal everyday life. And they're kind of thinking, you know, that, that wilderness generation, the generation that wandered around in the wilderness that was so stubborn, they almost made God quit and Moses was so frustrated. Well, that was them. But we, we're going to do better. This time is going to be different because you see, we've conquered the enemies. We've conquered all the ites. We won the battles, and we're in the promised land, and so this time is going to be different. Well, for us, I mean, it's February now. So we're, in, we're on one month, just one month into this, uh, into this new year. How's that going for you? How are those, how are those uh, New Year's resolutions doing? See, sometimes it's not different because sometimes the problem's not out there. It's in here, and that's what we found out last week. Last week, we found out all the enemies, they're not quite conquered yet. They're still the internal enemies of sin and unbelief, and some things haven't changed at all. And so, like for me, man, I had a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year, and y'all, I'm happy to report I only have 15 to go. (laughs) My guess is, Many things are about the same for you, and they were for Israel. But in this chapter, God's going to give his people a tool, something to help them in this walk of faith as they battle some of these internal enemies. It's a weapon to fight with. And it makes sense. You see, for me, if I need to to adopt a new habit, if I need to get to the gym more and work out more and, and, and lose that weight, I have a much higher success rate want to have someone to do it with me, especially someone who knows what they're doing. When I have a model to follow, it makes all of the difference. And so what God gives his people in chapter 14, it's not a miracle. It's not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's not a magic pill to take. It's a model to follow. He's going to point to one of his servants and say, be like that. Follow him. Do as he does. Before we meet this guy, let's summarize the first five verses of of chapter 14. It's a great day as chapter 14 begins. It's kind of payday for all of the western tribes, all the tribes. So last week we looked at the tribes. They're going to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Now we're looking at the tribes settling on the western side. And man, these promises they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. They go all the way back to Abraham. But even those individuals there... Y'all, they've been fighting for seven years. It took about seven years to conquer the promised land. And today is the day that God's handing them the deed. 
The day of the day is God saying, you get to move in right over there. It's a day of celebration. And the way they do this is they send a representative from each tribe to join Joshua and Eleazar, and they're going to assign the land by drawing lots. And this is just a way of saying, hey, it's not Joshua picking, it's not any man picking. This is by the Lord's sovereign will. And the way this would work, they'd have two urns, and in each urn, they'd, so in one urn, they'd write down the name of each tribe, probably on a piece of pottery, put it in one urn, and then they'd write down a section of land, put it in the other urn, and they'd draw, draw a tribe, draw a chunk of land, and that's the land that that tribe was assigned. So we pick it up in verse 6, and in verse 6, the tribe of Judah is going first, probably because they're the biggest. And so they come up, they're going to send their prince, the representative, and let's read, we'll pick it up in verse 6. Read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll talk about it. It says, The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses when the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot had trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities, it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So Judah sends forth their representative, this guy named Caleb. Now, Caleb, y'all, is one of the most surprising, I would say one of the most underappreciated characters in all the Bible. And as we talk about him, I think you'll see why we named our firstborn son Caleb, after thinking about this Caleb in the Bible. We find out something surprising here. We find out he's a, he's a Kenizzite. I know you're all shocked. Let me tell you what that means. He's not a native-born Israelite. He comes from Israel's enemies, as a matter of fact. So his, his family was probably uh, from what's today Saudi Arabia. And what happened most likely is as the Israelites, they crossed the Red Sea, some of these Middle Eastern tribes joined the Israel, Israelites. Now understand, they didn't just like, hop on for the journey. They adopted the covenant. They became believers. They became followers of Yahweh. So it's amazing that this Gentile is the prince, is the representative of the largest tribe in Israel. And not just that, the tribe that we know will one day bring forth the Messiah that Jesus himself 
will come from. Y'all, this is the reminders of Rahab earlier in Joshua. It's evidence that there are no boundaries for God's grace. Especially, especially when you consider that the Kenzanites were probably descendants from Esau. Esau, y'all. Esau is the one that despised his birthright. He sold his inheritance from the Lord for a cup of soup. And they didn't have like Tabasco and salt and pepper, so it probably wasn't even good soup. He despised his birthright. It's Esau that God said those words that make us so uncomfortable. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And yet here, here sits a descendant of Esau, honored by God, an example of faith, and gifted the best part of the promised land. Y'all, so all the pastors meet every week that are teaching and go through the passage. When we were talking about this, finally one of the pastors just blurted out, this is almost too much grace for me. I can't handle it. This is like an overload of grace. We're supposed to notice God's special favor on this guy. This is one of just four what we call land-grant narratives, meaning the text focuses on a specific individual. Everywhere else, it's just talking about groups and tribes. Just four times, it focuses on a specific individual, and one of those is Caleb. And we're also supposed to notice that his inheritance is not drawn by lot. It's different than everyone else. They're not going to the urns when it comes to Caleb. He gets to pick his land. Why? What makes him so special? Well, Caleb's name, it helps to know his name. His name means bold and loyal. So the literal translation is the word for dog. So the literal translation is like a dog, which is not very flattering. But in the sense that a dog is always loyal, and man, a dog will charge ahead and and be bold at times. And he lives up to his name. And so he recounts for us what's recorded in Numbers 13. So 45 years ago, when they're first coming up to the promised land, him and Joshua and 10 other spies go to spy out the land. 10 spies come back and they say, good news, bad news. Good news is beautiful land. Bad news is there's some giants in there we can never conquer. I mean, we try to go in that land right now. Listen, it's going to be like TCU trying to beat Georgia. It ain't happening. (laughs) Caleb and Joshua saw the exact same thing. Saw the same thing those other 10 spies saw, but through different eyes. They saw it through the eyes of faith. And so these other spies, they saw big people and they had a little God. Joshua and Caleb, they had a big God. Therefore, they saw little people. So instead of coming back and trying to tell God how big those giants were, they wanted to go into the land and tell those giants how big their God was. Caleb was bold because he had faith. He was loyal all God told him to do. And so God blessed him by letting him pick out the land because of his faith. But I think it's also worth asking, okay, why why does the book of of Joshua revisit Caleb right here, right at the beginning of talking about the Western tribes? Well, something's going to happen. We know this from partially book of Joshua, really, as you get into the book of Judges, that As the Israelites settle into the land, living in the land is going to, in many ways, be more challenging than conquering the land was. Their conquering faith 
is going to turn into compromise. Syncretism sets in. They begin to adopt the ways and the worship of the culture around them. And then once again, that fear returns and they lose their faith. But there will always remain, by God's grace, a remnant who believe, a remnant that remains faithful. And for that remnant, God is providing a mentor. He's saying, here's a guy who will remain faithful amidst compromise. When everyone else is telling God how big their giants are, here's the guy that's going to tell your giants how big God is. That's Caleb. He's giving them to, him to Israel, presenting him as a mentor. So for the rest of our time, I want to kind of do a character study. Who is this guy, Caleb? What, what made him so great? And thankfully, thankfully for simple guys like me, the text makes it very clear. The text spells it out for us. It says that this guy, Caleb, he had wholehearted faith. Some translations will say wholehearted. Some will just say he followed me wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. This phrase is repeated six times in Scripture, almost every time that Caleb is mentioned, it goes out of its way to say he had wholehearted faith. And this is why we named our son Caleb. We have one of these verses in his room. So let's talk about wholehearted. What does it mean? What does it look like to be wholehearted in our faith towards God? Well, that word, it carries, just like Caleb's name, it carries this aspect of loyalty. Now, all of you, all of you know what loyalty looks like. All of you, everyone in here, you're loyal to something. You know, many of you in here, you're diehard Dallas Cowboys fans. And through many hard times over the years, you continue to cheer for them. And as a non-Cowboys fan, it is the joy of my life to watch you suffer. I mean, I really get great joy in your suffering. And yet, you're undeterred. Year after year, season after season, no matter what, you're going to continue to cheer for the Cowboys. It doesn't matter what happens. You are loyal to them. That's the kind of loyalty Caleb had. No matter what, loyalty. Wholehearted, it also has this meaning of complete. And so there's no part of his life that was reserved, held back, off limits, his thoughts, his actions, his plans, his relationships, his resources, all were God's. There's no 50-50 split. There's no sum's mine and some is yours. Every molecule of Caleb's being belonged to God. You can understand this completeness anytime you sit down to a breakfast of bacon and eggs. You sit down, some bacon and eggs. Caleb is the pig, not the chicken. So think about this. The chicken made a little contribution to your breakfast. The pig had to go all in. He had to sell out for you to get that bacon. It's that type of complete dedication. I'm dedicating my whole life to him. And the Bible tells us that's exactly how God wants all of us to follow him. He wants all of us to have a wholehearted faith, wholehearted life in Christ. Jesus said, Jesus said, I, I can summarize the whole law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You also understand this because you want God to be wholehearted towards you, right? 
So many of us, actually probably all of us, want God to be wholehearted toward us. We want to get the most from God. Trouble is often we want to give him the least. Especially true in a crisis. You know, when we're in a crisis, God, drop everything. Come to our beck and call. But after the crisis, we settle into everyday life. All of a sudden, we don't have the time in our busy schedules. You know, think about me. So I, you know, I got time for food, clearly. Got time for sports. Got time for Netflix, but no time for the word. Or maybe you have time for your career, for networking, for vacations, but no time for church. Men and women, this is exactly where Israel is in its history. In the middle of the war, God help, save us, be fully committed to us. Now that the war is over, will they wholeheartedly follow him? God is saying, be like Caleb, be loyal to me, follow me completely, be wholehearted. And so the text, it describes Caleb as wholehearted every time it mentions him. But you remember that commercial, the where's the beef? You know, hey, listen, where's the proof that Caleb does this? I mean, you can have lip service all, all you want to, but what did his life actually look like? I mean, what, how did he live? What did, we, what did he do? What does a wholehearted life look like? The text give us three things, I think. Trust, devotion, and expectation. That's what we see from Caleb's life. Trust, devotion, and expectation. Let's talk about trust. So verse 7, Caleb, he brings up these events from 45 years ago. Now, is this some old-timer reliving, reliving his good old days? You know, and all the young people roll their eyes like, oh, he's going to tell this story again. I've heard it a hundred times. No, that's not what's happening here. Listen, this is not bragging. This is not living in the past. This is testimony that has implications right now in my present. It's faith. He's saying, I learned a long time ago that I can trust God and I trust him the same way today. He refers back to God's promises six times in this chapter. The only reason Caleb trusts that he can have Hebron is because God promised it. God said it. That's what all of his trust and hope is in. In fact, the book of Joshua, it's going to use this word inheritance, referring to the land, over 60 times in the book. It only calls the land an inheritance. Why? Because it's not the spoils of war. It's not the paycheck that they earned. It's an inheritance. And an inheritance is always a gift. And so Caleb understands this land is and has always been God's. And God is lending it to me simply and only because he promised he would. Full stop. That's it. So Caleb isn't trusting himself all his trust is in the promises of God. And I love what he says in verse 12. This is one of the most profound sentences any biblical character has ever spoken. He says this. He says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. And you can hear that thing. Well, is, that, is that some doubt? Is that some question? But then he finishes it by saying, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Y'all, this is a statement of total humility toward himself and total trust in God. It's like he's saying, listen, God is not my errand boy. God is not following my orders. God's not going to do things because I say so. But you know what? I'm going to do things because God says so. 
I'm confident because God said it, not me. And this is what faith, this is what trust always looks like. Men and women, faith always pleads the promises of God back to God. God loves it. He loves it when you trust him enough to say, you said, you said this, you said you would do this. God wants us, he wants us to take his promises, turn them into prayers and plead them back to him because that shows that we trust his promises. And you need to know, listen, there are so many things in your life that will make promises to you. Our bank accounts, politicians, salesmen, relationships, even your own talents and abilities will promise you things. They will promise to give you meaning, to give you safety and security, to give you love and happiness. Whose promises will you trust? Whose promises do you trust enough to be loyal to, to follow wholeheartedly? Because trust, trust is not just a matter of lip service. Caleb, Caleb was telling us he trusts God, but it's meaningless if he didn't follow it up with action. It's the same for you and me. Our actions show what we really trust. So the next part of the wholehearted faith that Caleb shows us is devotion. Devotion. We walk in what we trust. Wholehearted faith always carries devotion inside of it. You walk in God's will. You put feet to your faith. Now, from Caleb's example, we can see, you know, Caleb was willing to follow God into the land of the giants when no one else would. His, his devotion had to stand alone at times. And we need to know this. There, there's not always a pep rally when you decide to follow God wholeheartedly. And so today, a teenager might find themselves lonely and left out when they're unwilling to go along with the crowd. If you're in business, you may find yourself passed up for a promotion or with a smaller paycheck when you're not willing to participate maybe in some white lies or you're not willing to be a workaholic and put in the same amount of hours. Or one of you just, as a family, you may just get some strange looks when you say, you know what, we're, we're not going to spend all of our time and our money on that. We're going to be devoted to God over fill in the blank, whatever everybody else is doing. The commentator Dale Ralph Davis, he said, devoted faith often means lonely faith. Devoted faith often means lonely faith. That was true of Caleb. That couldn't have been easy for him. But he remained devoted. And you know what? His devotion also required patience, didn't it? Verse 10, Caleb says, I've waited 45 years. Now, most of us won't wait 45 days, maybe even 45 minutes on God. You know, it's probably good to know. What's your, what's your threshold from when, you know, you're, you're, you're being obedient, you're being devoted, you're doing your part, but, but then you start to get mad for God not doing his part? You know, I do this, I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church. I've been nice to everybody. I've been, you know, doing it. God, when are you going to step up? Caleb gladly remained patient for 45 years, always trusting that God will do all that he said he would do. And now he's 85 years old, finally seeing it. 
You know, maybe this morning there's probably some here that, listen, you're tired. Everything is hard. That's just the season you're in. And you're starting to kind of look at God, kind of with this annoying look like, you know, when are you going to fix this? When are you going to act? When are you going to do what you said you would do? In those seasons, men and women, remember, Caleb, don't let time shrink your devotion to him. Keep putting feet to your faith. Keep simply doing all that God's asked you to do and trust him to do all that he has said he would do. You know, God never promises that our devotion will be easy, does he? But he does promise that it will always be worth it. There will be an inheritance for us. So stay devoted to him. So wholehearted life, trust, devotion, and finally, expectation. Caleb, even at 85 years old, he is living with this sense of expectation. Verse 11, old man Caleb, he says something crazy that I'm sure I won't be saying when I'm 85. He says, well, I'm as strong now as I was back then, 45 years ago. I'm still as good as I was. How big an old boy are you? This guy, has he lost his marbles, you know? Is he one of these old guys that thinks he can do as much as he used to could, but he can't? Or is he some kind of Popeye, some kind of biblical Popeye? He's got a spinach around, he just chugs it, and he's strong again? No, no. Listen, we, we can all figure that out. 45 years ago, what was Caleb's strength back then? Was it his muscles or his youth? No. No. His strength was the Lord back then. And so today, nothing has changed. See, when, you're, when the Lord is your strength, you fight your battles the same way your whole life. So what, what does the Bible say? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When God is your strength, men and women, you never lose your strength. Which means, which means you can expect God to work as much now as he did back then. You know, we said earlier, many of you guys are loyal followers of the Cowboys. As you remain loyal, you've it's created some expectations, right? You've come to expect something. Disappointment. You just know they're going to blow it at the end of the season somehow. Somehow, even when it seems impossible, they will find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And you carry that expectation with you around as a Cowboys fan. I'm sorry about that. And not really that sorry. But. but others around here have become loyal fans of the local boy, Patrick Mahomes. Your wholehearted trust, your devotion, your loyalty has been greatly rewarded. You've come to expect something different. You've come to expect success. And so last weekend... You know, when it's the fourth quarter, 30 seconds left, you just knew somehow Patrick was going to find a way. Yay, even though he has one good leg and no timeouts. <laughs> you still have this expectation that Patrick Mahomes will win the game. And man, sure enough, there he goes. Uh, they needed, they had to have the play, and then somehow he got the penalty as well. Men and women, Caleb, oh, there he is. Look at that. On one good leg. Caleb, at 85 years old, carries that sense of expectation when it comes to the Lord. 
that God will continue to work. He will achieve all of his promises. His kingdom is moving forward. He will be victorious. And you can, you can see the sense of expectation in his request. He could have requested any part of the land. And he didn't say, this is what I'd have been. I'd been like, hey, the vacation home on the Mediterranean. That's where I'm going. He picks the hardest obstacle. Hebron is the land that those giants live in, and they haven't gotten rid of them yet. It's the same land that scared off the 10 other spies 45 years ago, and 85-year-old Caleb is saying, let me at him. Caleb says, give me this mountain. Give me another obstacle too big for me to overcome myself, but I can trust the Lord with. Man, I want to be like this old geezer when I'm 85. You know what? And if you're here today and you started just, listen, you started phoning it in, started thinking you're too old for God to use you, that, that was in the past. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to write down this phrase, give me this mountain. Write it down somewhere where you'll see it this week to remind you that God can still use you in some ways you never thought possible. Live with this sense of expectation. Old Presbyterian minister Kennedy Smart tells a story of a, an American shoe company sent a salesman to a foreign country, and he'd hardly been there a week before he cabled back home to get some money to, to come home with. And he, he told him, hey, listen, no one over here wears shoes. This is a lost cause. So the company brought him back, and, but they sent another salesman over. The salesman had only been there a day, and he cabled back, send me all the shoes you can manufacture. The market is absolutely unlimited. No one here has shoes. That's the attitude of Caleb. He fully expected God to continue his work, and so every obstacle was an opportunity for God to show his faithfulness. And age did not end his expectation. Man, how, how easy would it have been for Caleb to say, hey, I'm 85, I'm done, and to lose his sense of expectation. What a tragedy that would have been. I mean, not only for Caleb, but for the whole community of faith, for all of Israel. Remember, the whole reason Caleb is in this chapter right here is to serve as a mentor. Think of the, the wisdom the experience, the faith that Caleb has to share with that next generation. That is their most valuable natural resource, more than any gold or silver or diamonds they could find in that promised land. And if Caleb stops living wholeheartedly, the future generations lose their model to follow. You know, I, men and women, I look around the church today and it is no different than us. The church needs its Caleb's. You know, we, we usually around here, we kind of have this mindset that our faith is kind of between us and God. And so if we turn half-hearted instead of wholehearted, or if we lose our sense of expectation, or if we get distracted, or if we just decide to opt out and retire from God's work in the world, well, that's kind of between us and God. That's not true. That's not true even a little bit. You know, it, it's kind of, kind of seems like it's become a little bit of an American pastime, you know, for, and I do this, for parents to kind of get so nervous that the outside evil world is secularizing the next generation and, and secularizing our kids. 
It's not true. Now, it is true, statistically, that future generations are leaving Christianity in droves. That, that part is absolutely true. But it's never true that the secular world is to blame. In fact, the opposite is true. As you look back on church history, we find that the church has grown the most in some of the most secular, anti-God cultures the world has ever known. Well, why? How, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. Because in those contexts, if you are following Christ, you are a Caleb. You are wholehearted because it costs you everything to follow Christ. And listen, wholehearted followers tend to attract the next generation. And so the church grows. But what tends to happen in contexts like ours, it's not that the heathens out there secularize the next generation. It's that the church loses its Caleb's. So kids grow up with lots of programs, but no relationships. They're surrounded by half-hearted instead of whole-hearted. Bethel Bible Church, let's not be that way. Listen, my highest desire for this church is the same as my highest desire for my son, who I named Caleb, that we would wholeheartedly follow the Lord every day of our lives, as long as we have breath in our lungs, that we would trust him, that we would be devoted to him, that we would expect him to continue to work through us in the next generation. I pray that we'll be people who, when we're 85, will be praying, Lord, give me this mountain. So what about you? Do, do you have someone in your life that you can pour truth into? Are you putting yourself in a place to have relationships with future generations? Parents, are you making sure your children are in relationships with the other people in the body of Christ in this church? Listen, if, that, if, if not, and you want to change that, we got all kind of things we can plug you into. We can plug you into any age group during our 9 o'clock hour. We're about to do our first disciple now with our youth. You can volunteer. You can help with that. Talk to me. Talk to Kareem. Talk to any of our elders. Talk to anybody. We'll, 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 we can get you plugged in. But here's what I want everyone to do. In a second, we're going to leave here. We're going to go back to our cars, unless you walked here. Most of us will go back to our cars I want everyone to make an observation when you get back in your car. I want you to notice that your windshield is a lot bigger than your rearview mirror. And that's for a reason. Because what's ahead of you is more important than what's behind you. Now, rearview mirrors are good. You may look in your rearview mirror of your life and you may see a previous mountain that God conquered for you. And that's good. That's helpful to know. But God's not done yet. Because in your windshield is that next mountain that God wants to conquer for you. So move forward wholeheartedly into that next mountain. You know, in your rearview mirror, maybe something God did in your life, and that's good. But in your windshield, maybe what God wants to do in someone else's life through you. So move wholeheartedly into what's ahead. Let's expect God to work. Let's trust that he will. And let's devote our lives to his work. That is wholehearted life in Christ. Now, if you're here, let me just say quickly, if you're here today and you're not a believer, listen, understand, hear me, hear me, please hear me. I'm not asking you to try harder and do better. I'm inviting you 
to give your trust and loyalty to the right person. The truth is you're, you're living wholeheartedly for something even right now. And it's probably you, but by now you know how much you disappoint you. So why not trust the one who created you, who came to earth, died, was buried, and rose again just so that he could exchange your sin for his righteousness? Or at least be brave enough to ask him. Be brave enough to ask him if it's true that Christ came to save you and if you can trust him the same way that Caleb trusted him. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.